Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. My name is Julie Yuwen Chen, Professor of Chinese Studies at University of Helsinki, Finland. Join me today to talk about Olympic star Gu Ailing, or sometimes in English it's called Ailing Gu, is Professor Chang Jiang. He is a visiting professor of Chinese studies at University of Helsinki. Professor Chang is a famous media scholar and observer. He is widely published in English, Chinese, and French on topics that include journalism and propaganda, digital media cultures, and digital feminism in contemporary China. He is also a very good friend of mine, and I have appreciated a lot of his publications. His publications has been in very leading international journals, such as International Journal of Cultural Studies, European Journal of Cultural Studies, and Journal of Contemporary China. Welcome, Professor Chang. To begin with, I wonder if you could say a few words about yourself and your research. Okay, thank you, Judy. It's、uh, very nice to see you again after the two years we have been witnessed. And、uh, thank you also very much for the very nice introduction. Hello, everyone. My name is Chang Jiang, and、uh, I am very glad to talk to you today. As、uh, Julie just introduced,、uh, that I am a scholar of media and communication studies, and my research mainly focuses on media, public opinion, popular culture, and cultural identities in contemporary China. And I'm currently、uh, very honored to serve as a visiting professor at the University of Helsinki. Hello, everyone. Well, we are happy to have you here. Now, I want to start by talking about the famous Gu Ailing. But to begin with, perhaps we should talk about the Winter Olympics. It has ended very well. In your observation, were Chinese people excited about the Winter Olympics? I think this is a very good question to start with. And in general, I would like to say that the Chinese people are very excited about the Winter Olympics. I would even go so far to say that many Chinese people are fanatic about the games, not just the Winter Olympic Games that has just happened in this winter, but mostly all competitive games with an international profile, especially those hosted in China. And I think there are two major reasons for this. Firstly, you have to know that participating and winning international competition in sports. Have always been a strong symbol of national unity and the rise of China as a great power in the mind of Chinese people. As early as in the 1980s, I think, when China has just started its economic reform and most Chinese people were living under poverty lines, the Chinese women's volleyball team's five consecutive wins in international matches. Was already framed and interpreted by the state media as a strong spiritual force that could unite the Chinese people and lead them to the brighter future. And in the early 1990s, due to what had just happened at the Tiananmen Square, the Communist Party of China, the leading,、uh, the ruling party of China, was facing a serious crisis of its legitimacy as a perpetual ruling party, and it was losing support of many people. But after the very big success of the Chinese athletes at the 1990 Beijing Asian Games, the party suddenly became lovable again, 
And of course, the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games has been one of the most significant national event in most Chinese people's minds, where not only China topped the gold medal chart, but also the hosting job per se was a huge success and widely praised. So I think it was right since the year 2008, uh, Olympic Games in Beijing has the so-called Chinese dream of national resurrection been trendy and big in Chinese daily life. And the second reason is something about the rising Chinese middle class, because Winter Olympics is quite different from the Summer Olympics in that it features sports such as skiing and skating, which require good equipment, professional coaching training, and a lot of leisure time for practices. It is nothing like ping pong or, you know, weightlifting. In general, winter sports are very expensive and they would only be appealing for a sizable audience if there is a significant number of ordinary Chinese family who can afford such games. So countries that are good at winter games normally are developed countries such as Norway, Canada, and the United States. And now China is a part of this group, and you can imagine how Chinese people would be excited about this. So now with its family wealth and the pre-leisure lifestyle on the rise, the Chinese middle class is craving for entertainments that are fancier and more exclusive, such as the ice and skate games, so they could maintain their imagining of being economically and socially well off. So this is the two reasons, I think, why the Chinese people are very excited about the Winter Olympic Games. In connection to this, when we talk about Hu Ailing, then she is a special kind of elite. And I prefer to call her Chinese name Gu Ailing. So she was born in the United States, has a Chinese mother and American father. But she decided to give up her American citizenship so that she can compete for China in the Winter Olympic. Until today, I guess there are still a lot of discussion about whether she really gave up her American passport or not, or she actually had dual citizenship. This has been widely covered, I would say, in the Western media as well as in Chinese media. She is a Chinese-American or American-Chinese, whichever way you call it. But she's one of these kind of um, overseas Chinese that the Chinese government would love to call back. So the Chinese government have often referred to the overseas Chinese as part of the new Chinese dream. And it is important for the Chinese government to reunite with these over Chinese and their relatives. They are all part of the greater Chinese dream that the current Chinese president would like to advocate. I just would like to know what you think about Chinese people's perception of Gu Ailing. How has the traditional Chinese media and the social media kind of platform depict Gu Ailing? Why is she becoming so popular now in China? The answer to this question might be a little bit complex because the popularity of Gu Ailing is the outcome of, in my opinion, several intersectional cultural factors. But if you need a very simple answer, I could give you one. That is the Chinese people like heroes. They just like heroes. I think the most important factor is, of course, there is this state endorsement. She is uh, actually endorsed and popularized by the Chinese government. The journalism and media system in China is something quite different from what you have in the West. You can say that it is quite authoritarian because all news organizations in China are both owned and operated by the government directly or indirectly. And propaganda is one of the most important functions of the party's institutional structure. If we ever see something out of nowhere, out of a sudden, 
becomes a national sensation, it would be very possible that this is exactly the intention of the party state. So we have to see that there is an invisible hand behind this. But you have to be in China to know that. The state is, I would say, so powerful in controlling what people would talk about that if it wants something immediately disappear from all news outlets and the internet, it could easily do so. And similarly, if the state wants someone or something to become wide popular, it could do it over the night. I think this is a fundamental reason. And then here comes the second thought, and it would be why China's ruling party wants to popularize Guailin among its people. Why the government chooses her, chooses this figure, and I think the reason is clear and simple as it may sound, because Gu's image is a perfect combination of a sports icon that is greatly appealing to China's younger generation and also a strong symbol for the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. Because you can just think about it, Gu Ailin is very smart, she is very beautiful, and also she is a very adept social media user who always knows what to say to her audience and to keep them happy. And young people in China just love her and look up to her. This is some very good qualities about her. But she is also quite different from other young celebrities who are mostly in the entertainment industry in that she is really good at schoolwork. She is very well read. She had straight A's in school and she got enrolled in Stanford. So she is what the Chinese people would normally consider the good outcome the star child that you want your kids to look up to, whom they want their children to follow. And at the same time, many qualities of Guailin also make her quite appealing to the Chinese nationalists. And you know that nationalism is very popular in China at this moment. I would even say that it goes too far, but it is popular. For instance, Guailin was born in the United States, as you mentioned earlier, but she was born to a Chinese mother and an American father. But nobody knows who her father is. Until now, there is no answer to that. And uh, I really do think that people should not look up to that because this is her family's choice. But uh, this is a fact, even though that uh, we know that she has an American dad, but uh, nobody could name this guy. So I think on some sense, it makes her more Chinese than American. All people know is that uh, she has a mother, who is this excellent Chinese woman who went to Peking University in the 1980s and became a successful businesswoman in the 90s. And also there is this very crucial part is that she grew up in the US, but she chose to compete other countries as a Chinese person. And this is the very preferable narrative for the Chinese nationalists. You know that for over 2000 years, the Chinese people have be nice to foreigners who are attracted to the Chinese culture and willing to become Chinese. It may seem a little bit narcissistic, but uh, it is true that if a foreigner tells a Chinese person that I like to eat your food, and the Chinese person could be very happy about that and could be very nice to this person. So in their logic, you do not have to look 100% Chinese to be considered Chinese but you have to accept that the Chinese culture is one of the best cultures in the world. And of course, Chinese food is one of the most delicious food in the world. So you can be considered as one of the Chinese people. And it is exactly for such reasons 
that China's propaganda authority wanted to make Gu Ailin popular. She is the hero both the Chinese government and the Chinese people are looking forward to. She's like the perfect poster child, poster kid for the national image that Chinese leaders expect to build both among the Chinese people and to show to the Western world. With Guailin's international profile, China wants to prove that it can be both patriotic and open-minded. With Gu's successful case, they managed to do this. That comes to my next question, because there's another athlete in the Winter Olympic, and she was born in America, and she's a Chinese, you know, really ethnically Chinese. Her name is Zhu Yi. In the media, it seems that she has been highly criticized. So how come Zhu Yi is not a poster child? This is very interesting. I actually did quite some comparisons during uh, this whole case. And I think the biggest reason is very cruel. Even saying that, it sounds very cruel. That is because Gu Ailin won two golds and one silver medals in the Winter Olympic Games, but Zhu Yi lost the games she participated in. You have to know that to become the widely recognized poster child for Chinese athletes, you have to win. The Chinese people are not very tolerant about athletes who lose. Sometimes they are nice to them, but uh, if they have other flaws, the Chinese people can be very brutal about such persons. So to put it simple, if you uh, want to become the poster child of anything in China, you have to win. And as I mentioned earlier, sports games in China has long been considered a symbolic war between China and the West. So both the state and the people in China are eager to see that our guys, the Chinese guys, triumph in these competitions and gave their rivals a hard time. The origin of such mentality could even be traced back to the first Sino-Japanese war in, I think it's 1895, when China was surprisingly humiliated by a nation, that is Japan, that had long been considered a small and culturally irrelevant country. And since the end of the Cultural Revolution in the year 1976, there has been a strong will in Chinese people to rise again. So, however, it might take forever for China to overtake the West in military and economy, but the party state still needs to booster its people's pride so they could be motivated into construction of the country. China just established this whole nation system of sports to develop sports and in the sports that Western countries are not normally good at such as ping pong and uh, you know, weightlifting. So China could win a lot of goals in the Olympic games and top the medal charts. The goal of establishing such a system is very simple, to win and to win gold medals. Sometimes it is even a little bit baffling for the Western observers. You know, if a person participates in the Olympic games and uh, he or she wins a silver, it is very good, right? But in China, it is not good enough. You have to win gold. So if you have been observing China's online discourse during the Tokyo Summer Olympics last year and the Beijing Winter Olympics this year, you might have found that the public opinion was quite intolerant about Chinese athletes' mistakes in those games. It is brutal, I know. But yes, people just don't tolerate losers that much in this culture. It was also highly unlikely that silver and bronze medalists would be applauded in the sports that China is good at. 
unless you are a historical breakthrough, such as you may heard of Su Bingtian, uh, that is a good Chinese runner. He finished fifth in the men's 100 meters sprints in Tokyo. It is a historical breakthrough and Chinese people like that. But other than this, if you don't get gold medal in like in diving or in ping pong, you will be highly criticized. And the winter games are not China's strongest gift. And Zhu Yi might have been okay if she made several mistakes and lost a medal. I don't think people would be very critical about that. But now we have Gu Ailin, who is the perfect Chinese princess on snow and ice. And the people could not not compare those two. And Gu Ailin is not only beautiful, but also winning gold. So comparisons sometimes can be very cruel. And for most of the time, people only need one idol in one specific area. I think that is where and why Zhu Yi lost her popularity and be criticized. But if you keep following the online discourse of this event, you may see that the discourse had become milder as time went by. This is a process that we have to witness, that the people might be very brutal at the beginning, but when they see that she's just a little girl and works very hard to win, but with not very good luck, people just become tolerated again. I think in this case, we can see voices from all different prospects. It is mainly because this case is not that sensitive in China. Try talk about Taiwan. Well, you may see that if you have a different opinion from what the state approved, you cannot say it at all. So this is uh, the other thing I would really like to share with our audience, because I have been asked by Western media a lot about how we should understand the Chinese online discourse, uh, the Chinese people's talking and the suggestions in social media. And is that true? Is that really reflective? Is that really meaningful if we want to understand the Chinese politics? I hope you don't mind I talk a little bit out of the guideline. No problem. We enjoy those side stories. <laughs> okay, oh, good. Because I would like to share some of my knowledge about how we should interpret Chinese public opinion through online discourses, especially discourses on Chinese social media. And I think there are three things, two or three things that one need to know as a premise if you want to do this. The first thing we have to know that what we see on Chinese social media is only slightly representative about the ideas of Chinese people's general idea. It is because most of the content you see online has already been gone through several filters preset by both the state and the platforms. You have to know that everything you can see on Chinese social media is already been censored. They do this to make sure that all these things you can see are following the party line, especially in sensitive topics such as the Russo-Ukraine war that we are witnessing at this moment. And there are a lot of different opinions about Gu Ailin and Zhu Yi, about the Russo-Ukraine war, and about China's role in the world. There are a lot of opinions but only those in favor of the nationalist sentiments and the pro-CCP rules are allowed to go public. So that is the people from the outside world can see about China. And if you talk privately to Chinese intellectuals, for instance, if you talk to me and most of my colleagues and some of my very good friends who are just regular people living in big cities who went to college, 
or you talk to uh, college students or middle-class people living in big cities in the southern part of China, you might see a totally different picture. So I really suggest that if you want to have a, a genuine idea about how Chinese people think, how Chinese people perceive about current issues, of course, you should go through social media, but also you need to talk to real Chinese person because some of them, most of them cannot just talk freely online. And the second thing I want to share is that there is a, a perpetual ruling party in China and the influence of this party is always underestimated. The CCP's constant needs to maintain its legitimacy as the perpetual ruling party, I think it is the fundamental force for many social phenomena in China. No single politician needs to please the people because their power doesn't come from the popular votes, but the party, the CCP as a whole, it has to keep good performance in economic development and in maintaining a strong emotional tie with its people. So they would keep trusting, the people would keep trusting the party's intentions and the capacities. In this way, it could maintain its legitimacy. You cannot you know, vote for an oppositional party, but if the ruling party lost its people's trust, it will be doomed. So the ruling party of China, it is not always in the safe place. It has to do a lot of things to keep it legitimately at this place. So if there's anything that is proved to be good for the solidification of the party's ruling you know, legitimacy, the party will definitely do it with no hesitation. If we want to interpret the phenomena of Huailing or the online discourse about the war between Russia and Ukraine, you have to see that there is this invisible power. It has this desperation to keep people liking it, loving it behind all these things. And you have to trace back to the ruling logic of this power. So in fact, even though the ruling party of China is called the Chinese Communist Party, I don't think it is communist at all at this moment. There is nothing communist about the party. So if we have to name the ideologies of the CCP, I think we have two answers. The first ideology is nationalism. And the second ideology is pragmatism. That is the CCP, that is nationalism plus pragmatism. And uh, as an understanding of how these two ideologies combine with each other and direct politics and policies in China, I think it will lead us to the correct answers to many questions. So I'm really happy to talk about Guailing in this podcast, because even though this is a single case, but it is one of the many online campaigns endorsed and even secretly operated by China's top propaganda experts. An analysis of such a case could give us a very good approach to the inside job of how the Chinese government control the online discourse and manage how and what its people think and talk. So sometimes you really need to be inside China to see what's really going on and who is really behind everything we experience. And of course, I'm really, I have had this, this good luck to become a Chinese expert, but also have good connection with the Finnish academia, especially with my very good friend, Julie Chen. So we have an opportunity to talk about this. I really hope that we have more opportunities to establish such talks so there will be better mutual understanding between the two cultures. Thank you, Professor Chang Jiang. 
you're sharing in this North Asia podcast is very important for us. The analysis is much deeper than what I have read in most Western media. Because you also tell us what is behind the scene of Gu Ailin's popularity is worth a lot of thinking, and of course the government's hand is there. You also rightly point out the importance of continuing having conversation with Chinese people, not just reading what is on the Chinese social media is very important. You have been listening to me, Julie Yuan Chen from University of Helsinki, and as well as with Professor Chang Jiang. He is currently a visiting professor at University of Helsinki. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.